0: John and I'm Nick, and you're listening to the archive, our ever growing library of everything, one hour at a time.
1: Nick, uh, I'm glad it's just the two of us here this week. Yeah, I hate Drew, (laughs) but I kind of miss Adam. Yeah, he he was a nice, uh, 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 an antidote to to Drew's D- to Drew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm excited that the two of us are here because we can finally stop talking about movies <laughs> and start talking about films.
0: Yeah, let's get real. Yeah, let's talk uh, about some real art. Yeah, not those blockbusters like those other guys like.
1: <laughs> they like to check their brains at the door. <laughs> I like to have my brain fully on display in the seat with me as I'm watching. I pick
0: up my brain at the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I leave it there while I'm out in the world. And then when I come into a movie, I need to pick up my brain. I only need my brain to watch films. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh,
1: This week we were talking about the Criterion Collection, which is uh, a... It's a it's a company basically uh, a distributor of um, highfalutin films um, that are part of a nebulous
0: uh, canon of sorts. Yeah i I am coming into this very ignorant. I left my brain. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, criterion is something that it feels like they've been around forever, but. Maybe they only started when i was when we were teenagers or something did it exist how long a little before been?
1: that yeah um well so the there there's sort of two sides to this um the the roots of criterion are actually based in uh Janus films, which is uh, just a pure film distributor it's an American company that buys the rights to a lot of international films okay. and releases them in various formats or licenses them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been around since 1956, I think. So when when uh, the first, I guess, art film movement happened in the United States, like in the mid to late 50s, Janice Films was kind of right there on the, the precipice. And so they they bought up and largely shaped how America saw international films over the last 30, 40, 50 years. Um, But the Criterion Collection was really established um, kind of parallel to that in 1984. I guess this is where we have to talk about the history history. history history. of the the, the Criterion criterion criterion. Collection. So 1984, uh, a group of investors uh, get together, and they I, I get the sense that they they must have known the people from Janice Films pretty well um, uh, some of them are there are there are some shared ownership here mm-hmm. um, and some crossover in the, in the management but the Criterion Collection forms to distribute uh, movies on Laserdiscs really
0: yeah this is how it starts yeah. we um, finally have a media that can capture the quality of these films yes now it it's
1: at, almost at the same time. Members of this company um, form a parent group that is called uh, what are they call the Voyager Company, and the Voyager Company is solely uh, intended to distribute media on discs. Okay. So on and, laser discs and CD-ROMs. And CD-ROMs. <laughs> so they sort of, they, they have this idea. I, what, what probably happens here, if there's a timeline, this, I'm just imagining this timeline, because there's not really a whole lot of documentation on it yet. But So Janus Films uh, is a thing, and it's very big in New York where a lot of these investors are, and um, they determine, like, we've got this physical media that we're, uh, that's really taken off or, or is, is launching, and we think this is a good way to sort of test the waters with it.
0: So they we're charging a hundred dollars for this new media, and we have to back it up somehow, yes, so we have to show that it as it's actually profitable <laughs> um and Wait, then I'm sorry, oh no, go ahead. How much were laser discs
1: i don't know um well at the at that time, I don't know. I do remember like in the early nineties looking at them, and they were um like thirty forty dollars okay um but criterion laser discs were always much higher mm. um because they were supposed to be the um, the film lovers' go-to resource.
0: Was Terminator 2 a Criterion movie? It was. It, was it?
1: Yes, on Laserdisc. I don't think they've ever put it out since then. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, said, I think it was. I'll have to look into that. Um, but they did put out a lot of movies... Uh, this is the thing where like the idea that this is a, a sort of a nebulous Canon comes in because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the very first laser disc that criterion put out in 1984 was citizen Kane, which mm. at the time great had film. been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it had been at the top of the sight and sound 10
0: best a, films of all time. I know, that's a bold move of them yeah. to put that out. Uh, very risque. Yes. Yeah. Did they call it, the Criterion Collection for the first movie. They did. Okay. Yeah. And was everybody like, where's the rest where's of the it? Where's the rest of it? Yeah. <laughs> probably. Okay. <laughs> Although I imagine that
1: like, it was probably like a $400 laser disc and so only eight people had one. Yeah. So no one, no would, one at was that point it. was really <laughs> looking for it. <laughs> but that sort of became their reputation, um, at least from a consumer standpoint. Like you, if you have this idea of like what things cost. Mm -hmm. And it's largely based on like the ubiquity of things that cost that much. So, you know, the majority of VHS tapes, as we discussed previously in the eighties were priced for rental, you know, at a hundred bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laser discs were originally like from the get go, they were set up to be uh, a commercial, a consumer uh, property where people could just buy and own movies. Um, so they were priced lower than VHS tapes were, um, but the Criterion ones were always priced significantly higher than the bulk of Laserdiscs.
0: Now, did they get away with that? Did they have those the things that, like we think of with DVDs of all the bonus features, or was it just that they were produced with um, you know high def or whatever it was at the time? Well, Re- that's remastered, or right? Yeah. yeah,
1: they would do restorations of old films. Um, well, that actually leads us into an elicination.
0: All right. Elicination. Wait, there's only one of me. <laughs> <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah. Um, well, what I'm going to ask you to do is, okay, uh, the Criterion Collection, starting from the very first release, starting from Citizen Kane, um, they began pioneering a lot of the things that we have come to associate with Owning movies on some sort, some form of uh, media, mm-hmm. home home viewing media. Um, can
0: you list what you think those might be? I'm not sure if I understand. Are are we talking like um, like sound quality, like Dolby, or sort of? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have I lost? Yeah. Uh. All right.
1: <laughs> you lose. That's okay. Um, so yeah. wait, wait, hold on. Letterbox. Yes. 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 I win. Starting with the fourth Laserdisc that um. Criterion released, um, they pioneered the letterboxed format, placing the black bars at the top and bottom of the screen, so yeah. you could see the original. I'm
0: so mad that they took out that part of the
1: screen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why did they do that to me?
1: Stupid <laughs> film artists. It, that, the, that whole, um, the, the rise, rise of <laughs> letterboxing, um, like when it became a little bit more, um, proliferate mm-hmm. in like the mid to late nineties,
0: um, had to be the worst time to work at a video store. Oh, um, from all those people who either wanted it or didn't, or want, didn't it want it yeah. and then came back complaining. Or, yeah. yeah.
1: I was, I was absolutely on the, the side that wanted it and Um, you know, it was frustrating because I would go into a blockbuster and I would be
0: like, do you have the letterbox version of Pulp Fiction? And they would be like, what? Uh, Hey, do you have the letterbox edition (laughs) of the new Quentin Tarantino film, Pulp Fiction? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What? 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 Yeah. Our fiction section's over there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I was, I'm sure that I was a major nuisance to them. Because I would keep asking for it And they would keep saying No, I guess it's coming in next
0: week I guess it's coming in next week And you held your ground And I You're came like,
1: back And I'm I am not said,
0: watching this You told me that it was coming This yeah. <laughs> weekend Standard 3 by 4 <laughs> bullshit Give me the letterbox.
1: Well that in that movie in particular, it was very apparent to me. And you've still never seen it. You've never I've never seen Pulp Fiction. Yeah, never got down that it never came out <laughs> on the Blockbuster never got it. Yeah. I saw Pulp Fiction like probably four or five times in the theater. Uh so I like I knew those shots pretty well. Mm-hmm. And uh I did try to watch it on a cropped pan and scan, as they say, yeah. uh version. And yeah, you know, you like, can
0: totally watch it, but um, I can see Marilyn Monroe right there, but the, where's Jane
1: Mansfield?
0: Yeah, she's over there in the corner. I should be able to see her too. Uh,
1: yeah. So letter boxing was one of the first things that they, they introduced on, uh, the criterion collection, special editions, starting from the very first one, the, um, star Wars, <laughs> uh, citizen Kane had special features, uh, documentary behind the scenes type stuff. Um, audio commentaries. And that came out in 1984. Yes. Yeah. 1984. I think the next one, I don't know the date on this, but, um, it was the second disc. It was King Kong. Hmm. And that was the first one to have an audio commentary. And I thought this was interesting. I listened to from King Kong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Thank you. Uh, I listened to, there's a podcast called, have to look it up again i can't think of what the name of it is uh but there's a uh radio i guess the npr affiliate in new york um had a show that uh, did an interview with the president president yeah of criterion and uh in that he talked about um sort of the technological limitations and criterion is always kind of trying their their Pushing those boundaries. Yeah, going like step by step and film by film or like release by release. And so, you know, when they came up with this idea of audio commentary, it was sort of born out of the fact that they realized they had two digital audio tracks that they could work with. Um, And so for a long time, they would only be able to do movies that weren't in stereo because... If oh, they, when they transferred them to a, to the laser disc, if it was a stereo soundtrack, then that would occupy both sides of the both both audio tracks that they had available. Yeah. But so if it was a mono movie like King Kong, then they could do
0: uh, audio commentary. I heard and, before they did uh, audio commentary, they tried a feature that they just had extra farts throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't as popular. And so they came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Extra <I> would, farts. <laughs> King Kong is full of farts. <laughs> but the first <laughs> the first innovation that Criteria did was double the farts. I was thinking that like
1: that was they, they did the test on the Citizen Kane uh, yes. release. <laughs> and I just like I'm imagining various scenes in Citizen Kane accompanied by mm-hmm. supplementary farts. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned, uh, film restoration. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that Criterion kind of pioneered. Um, and this was sort of in partnership with Janus films. Um, and those two will kind of continue to be sort of, um, sibling, uh, companies throughout
0: the rest of their run. It's not owned by Janus, but they are strong collaborators. It, it more or less is owned
1: by, I think if I remember correctly, um, so Janus Films is um, owned by a couple of the people who were like original Criterion Collection owners. The, um, the founder, Michael Criterion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when that Voyager um, company dissolved in 1997, Criterion was spun off as its own company Um so it's owned by the current owners are Aline Stein, Aline Stein, William Becker, and Jonathan Terrell. Um, Jonathan Terrell is one of the owners of Janus, and he—I okay. guess the my impression is that he inherited that from his father, um, whose name I don't have written down here. But he was his his father was the original, or not the original owner, but purchased or became an owner of Janus in like the late sixties or early seventies. Okay. And then, um, William Becker is one of the owners of Criterion collection who is also affiliated with Janus and his son, Peter is the president of, uh, Criterion. So it's a very small group of people that are kind of calling all of the shots for Criterion. Um, but because of the relationship with Janus, um, they had a lot of material to draw on and access to um, source materials from these movies that otherwise would have been a little hard for a company to get mm-hmm. um, but because they they were so worked so closely together they did sort of pioneer the restoration of a lot of um, older uh, international films um, stuff that no major studio in America was likely to invest in. Yeah. And they, they did invest in it. And that is part of the reason why they were willing to charge what they were charging for these laser discs because they could, they could turn around and show people like, this is what we're doing with this money. We're paying for the restoration of the Mm -hmm. 400 blows or whatever. Um, Which was, not accompanied by a fart soundtrack, <laughs> sadly. That's a shame. <laughs> um, and multi-disc sets—that's another thing mm. that they pioneered. Um, uh, packing multiple discs uh, in a single set. Yeah. Um, so they—they they really were um, sort of standalones in the the laser disc field. Not that the laser disc field ever really got big enough to to have distinct um, much distinction between companies that were making them. But I do remember like being probably like 13 or 14 and like looking at Laserdiscs for the first time in a store and seeing some of the stuff that was accompanying the Criterion releases. Mm -hmm. And it was for movies like Halloween or um, Aliens. I think they did a special edition of Aliens, RoboCop,
0: so was Halloween Criterion back then. Um. Well, it wasn't released as a Criterion okay. movie, but but it
1: so it's. But I think they were the first ones to put it on LaserDisc. Okay. So they they kind of licensed the LaserDisc rights yeah. for a lot of these movies, which is part of the reason, probably why they were able to do it, because mm-hmm. at the time the the major studios were still just kind of tinkering with LaserDisc. So uh, Criterion by kind of getting their foot in the door, was able to own uh, a lot of them, Halloween being one of them. And I remember looking at it and thinking, like, I mean, it had an audio commentary by John Carpenter and mm-hmm. behind-the-scenes stuff. And Aliens, I think, it was the the first release of the director's cut of Aliens was on Laserdisc. Um, same thing with RoboCop. So That's... these are movies that I already, like, I knew about these movies. I'd seen these movies. But you wanted more. But I wanted more, Yeah. yeah. And that was like the initial appeal of the Criterion collection. But, of course, they were so expensive and I never, there was, I never had a Laserdisc player. Yeah. But I, I used to look at them and think like, well, if I had a Laserdisc player, this is all I need. And now everyone has one in their car. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the future.
1: I've actually got one here in my arm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, God, that's disgusting.
0: <laughs> um, that's something that I was curious about uh, when I asked about Halloween because it seems like they get added to the collect sometimes they get added to the collection well after their release is that yeah. true yeah
1: okay. yeah so i think like the the janus stuff um in many ways they would uh coincide with re-releases so stuff that had originally had its theatrical run in like the 60s they would do a restoration and then they would put it in a theater janus would put it in a theater in new york and criterion would release the laser disc okay you know with that restored version Later, yeah. Um, so that that kind of followed a normal model of putting something out in a the theater, and then six months or a year later, it comes out on video. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in, in many cases, in most cases, they will seize upon movies that they, for one reason or another, deem culturally significant. Or I mean, I don't know. There's there's not a whole lot of information about this, but it seems like there there could be some kind of preceding partnership already established. And I say that only because fucking Armageddon
0: is, is it, in the Criterion collection. Is it? <laughs> yes. That is I've rewatched that in the past 2 or 3 years. It's amazingly terrible. Yeah. It's very entertaining.
1: So I don't I've never tried uh, to rewatch it again. I only saw it in the theater the one time
0: and I've never been able to go back. It's it's just it feels like the cheapest trashiest adventure, biggest adventure movie mm-hmm. that they could make. And, you know, when you talk about them doing things that are culturally significant, I guess I can't deny that that is the case.
1: But the, the weird thing for me, and this is why I bring this up as an example of this, is they also released The Rock. They did a Criterion Collection edition of The Rock, uh-huh. which was Michael Bay's preceding movie, I think. I, or maybe Bad Boys might have come between those two. But I love The Rock. I think The
0: Rock is a great... I, I feel like people, uh, film lovers think that that's Michael Bay's best movie. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably agree with that, but
1: I, I sort of wonder if like in order to get the rights for the rock or if they just happened oh. to be exploring it, you know, like it, yeah. was, it was sort of a, a combined package, like, or maybe they just took advantage of the fact that like Michael Bay was willing to talk about his shit you know, so much more than most people were. Yeah. And they're like, well, this guy's making another movie. We got to get
0: cameras in there while he's doing it. And we'll put six discs of Michael Bay's bullshit out. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think it was criterion or Wes Anderson that pushed the 20 movie deal? (laughs) 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 Lifetime guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's any
1: Wes Anderson movie that's not in the criterion collection.
0: I mean, I am. I am a fan, so I don't know if I am really making fun of that <laughs> that hard. But yeah,
1: I mean, uh. they they clearly have a a type, mm-hmm. um, and there are there are certainly exceptions to that. Yeah, like Armageddon. But you know, virtually every movie that Jean-Luc Godard has ever released has been adopted by the mm-hmm. Criterion Collection or Fellini. Um, a lot of these, you know, New Wave people and. Um, and modern day equivalents, I think Wes Anderson, certainly one of them, uh, they've put out a lot of, um, Richard Linklater's movies, Mm. which I'm totally good with. Mm -hmm. I love his stuff. Um, Sophia Coppola, they've, they've done a bunch with her. So I, I, I think whether it's just the leadership of the Criterion Collection really liking these people, or if it's. You know, they've, they've, they're they're in a, in a way it's probably both, right? Like they, they like these movies, they themselves, whatever panel they have making these decisions likes these
0: movies. Do you know anything about that?
1: No, that's, it's, I I could not find anything about that. They
0: don't have the decision
1: making process that goes into selecting a board that is public or anything. No, it is still a private company. Um, so they don't really have to reveal a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I guess you can kind of, you can make some, um, assumptions about it. Based on the way that they schedule their releases um, and in in doing so they usually accompany those announcements and the releases with a lot of background material that they've collected and it's one of the things I, I really love the criterion brand um, and, and it's not just I, I mean I think the the most of the movies they select i I think are good choices or are interesting choices or whatever mm-hmm. but the supplemental stuff that they provide the content that they're putting out to promote these is goes way beyond what, um, most companies do, you know, like when Aquaman comes out on DVD, like it gets a 15 second, you know, shot of Jason Momoa saying, yeah. And then like a a hand comes out and shows you the DVD or the or Uh, or whatever criterion will do like a, 15 page interview with the director and put that on his website. And Mm. like, that's the
0: stuff that they're using to, to sell these releases. Um, If you didn't love the movie, they will make you love it by going so in depth into it that uh, like, you know, uh, okay. So I've, I've only seen citizen Kane once straight through and it was in a film class and Mm. uh, the teacher prepped us for it so much that it was amazing. It really was, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know if I had watched that separately,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, just on my own, I wouldn't have caught all the tricks that are in it mm-hmm. that are, um, you know, still amazing today for, for practical effects and camera work and stuff like that. All the farts. All, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, there, there can be that kind of, background into a movie that if they they share that with you then you can start to appreciate something yeah it's context you get excited about yeah. it in a different way
1: yeah and they've done uh recently i guess within like the last five years they've done a lot of these videos that they'll release called three reasons why or three reasons mm-hmm. and it's uh it's almost like their like justification for why they've picked this movie like here are three things about this movie that are you know Make it worthwhile. Make it you know that's worth cool. putting in the Criterion collection, um, and I think they they seem cognizant of the idea that their heritage is in these art house movies, mm-hmm. and so I think especially, well I won't even say recently because they used to they would put out shit like RoboCop and and um, Halloween even in the early days, but the they any release slate usually has a mixture of stuff. So it's some stuff that's like recognized as like art cinema but then along with that they'll have um uh some deep impact yeah uh like a brian de palma movie or something that's Mm -hmm. very much like um popular culture you know movie or like a wes anderson stuff which is kind of like maybe a crossover point between the two um and uh so i think there i don't i don't know what the the selection process is, if it's just a matter of like what they can get their hands on or what they think is going to sell certainly. But you, if you pay attention to what they, the the choices that they're making, you can kind of, it it does fit a, a canon, canonical Canonical. perspective, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, Nothing seems so far afield that except for Armageddon that, that you can't uh, choke it down.
0: Um, one of the, I, I, so I'm sure getting to this, but, uh, they are now launching a streaming service. Yes. Um, and in the lead up to that, they, they were doing a movie of the week. Um, and, uh, they would have, is it only if you subscribe to it ahead of time or was that open to anybody? Yeah.
1: If you were a charter subscriber, you got, so, well, actually this, this is the first time that they've had a standalone streaming service mm. for the Criterion Collection. They they launched um they I think they, they initially had like movies on demand for purchase or rent that you could get through iTunes or whatever. And then they partnered with Hulu um in like two thousand eight or nine and put some of the collection on demand. If you I think it I don't I think it was just included in the regular yeah. Hulu subscription. Yeah. yeah. Um and then a couple of years ago uh, they pulled everything from Hulu and partnered with uh, Warner Brothers and did uh, FilmStruck, which was kind of a Turner Classic Movies meets Criterion Collection service, um, and that was a standalone streaming service. But they didn't; they were like sort of the premium add-on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is now the first time where they've had their own standalone service, and uh, it, it was pretty impressive, I think, how quickly they turned it around because FilmStruck went offline November twenty-ninth of two thousand eighteen. And the Criterion channel launched April 8th of this year. So less than six months, less than five months. Yeah. Um, they were able to to get it going. But if you became a charter subscriber, they've, they've been cultivating subscribers from the very moment Filmstruck ended. They put out an announcement and said, we're going to do our own thing. If you want to be involved in it, sign up now. And if you did that, the if you were an early subscriber, then they would give you, a, in the lead up to the launch, Starting sometime in January, they started doing these movies of the week. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. So that's when it began. Um, so one of them was a uh, Russian or Czech movie. I think it was Czechoslovakian. Um, that was a uh, Baron Munchausen yeah. story. Yeah, And uh, I just remembered half of what I wanted to talk about in the Percolator. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But that was interesting because a week before that w- that came out, uh, I had been hanging out with one of my friends, and Baron Munchausen came up, and he said that um, that Gerard Depardieu was in it, and I said no, he wasn't, <laughs> and he was like yeah, he was, and I said no, he wasn't, <laughs> and so then I said Do you want about five dollars, and he said how about three, and I was like you you're not even confident enough for a five dollar bet, <laughs> and. Was that, this Travis? Did you talk about murder after no, that? This, <laughs> <laughs> no, this was my friend Jerry, um, and and that's when I realized the power of Venmo. Because I've always been confused hmm. about Venmo. Why anyone wa- would want to share? Why would they would make a social media service out of paying somebody for something? Like mm-hmm. I care about you. Shared you split an appetizer, right? Why would anyone? So now, from now on, I'm using Venmo as a service to uh, publicly shame people that I beat in stupid bets. <laughs> 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 so, you know, $3 is one thing. But proving to all my friends that I was right about Gerard de Padu not <laughs> being in Baron Munchausen was, was much better. Worth way more. <clears throat> but, so, then... That I, you know, I won that bet. It was awesome. Everyone was really impressed. I got lots of emails. And <laughs> I can likes. see where this is going. <laughs> and then a week, no, it, it, not actually a week later. I get this email that this Baron Munchausen movie uh, is being, you know, shared by cri- uh, the Criterion Collection. And I was like, oh no, he was right. <laughs> but no, it, it was it did not have him. It was a, a different country that made it so yeah yeah i'm not, well
1: and i'm sure i think Gerard Depardieu was alive when that one was made but
0: he would have, he been, would like have been super young
1: <laughs> yeah very poorly cast <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the the criterion channel um well i loved filmstruck i i i think i talked about it on the show previously that it was really um wisely curated um mm-hmm. so even though it wasn't Um, even, even though the, the base of Filmstruck was not part of the Criterion Collection, it was like they had taken the Criterion Collection's approach and applied it to these other movies. And was that just Turner Classic or? No, they would license stuff from other things. So it was pulling a lot from like the Warner Brothers and MGM, Mm -hmm. uh, back catalog, but they would license other movies too. Um, and they would present them in these sort of packages, um, or themes. Um, so instead of it just, you know, you open up this app and it's like, okay, here's what's new and here's, um, comedies or Mm -hmm. here's, you know, dramas or whatever. They would be like, here are, um, eight Warner brothers gangster movies. Mm -hmm. Um, here are. Movies where priests uh, punched people in the
0: face. You yeah. Know, like, they were like really creative and interesting collections of movies. There was a period where Netflix was doing a lot more of that. Yeah. And when they when they kind of rebranded and changed the interface, it, it's gone back to just kind of boring categories.
1: My understanding is those categories still exist. You oh, just can't I, access them. Oh I
0: thought <laughs> I thought they were Taylor making them to me and I just like boring <laughs> movies, which is very possible. <laughs> Uh yeah, but they, uh,
1: the criterion part of Filmstruck was like everything that I had wanted in a streaming service for movies. Mm-hmm. Because it, when it was on Hulu, you couldn't get any of the special features. Um, oh, it was just the movie. Yeah, but with with when they launched Filmstruck, um, they started adding in audio commentaries, and it was like super seamless, really easy to use, and um, toggle back and forth between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the special features, I think this was the case. It certainly is now with the Criterion Channel, but I'm pretty sure even with Filmstruck, even the special features were like indexed and searchable. So if you were looking for something about a movie, you, if you just look up a movie title, you didn't just get the movie and then have to dig into it to find the special features. Like it, it lists everything that's, that's cool. associated with it. Uh, so the Criterion Channel launched on April 8th. I took the day off work and I watched uh, nonstop... It, it it didn't launch until like 11 a.m., uh-huh. but I I still had a movie of the week to catch up on from the previous uh, week. Oh, good. So I still had stuff to
0: watch. So Were you sitting there at 9 a.m. with your popcorn? I like, was. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> I was. Nice. Uh, so what I That's have here... a good here, little holiday. That's cool.
1: It was great. It was very fun. I was thinking about doing it like monthly now because mm. um, they're, they're going to keep refreshing what's on the Criterion channel. Um, and so... Uh, by the time a month has gone by, I kind of feel like I will have dug pretty deeply into what's available at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be nice to like get a whole new fresh set of content to jump into. Yeah. Um, but so uh, I've documented here, everything that I watched on oh. April 8th on launch day. So it list a nation.
0: This is going to be me trying to remember uh, Four hundred blows <laughs> no, <laughs> damn it <laughs> i 'm
1: out um, no i won't i won 't uh, belabor that, but
0: well I will what I will say well, is do that, you have any highlights?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. One of the things that I think would be really interesting for listeners of this uh, podcast is one of the first short subjects I watched, and they they have so everything is is attached to some uh, collection or theme. Um, so like one of the big ones that they're doing right now is, uh, Columbia film noir. So film noir, noir movies that were put out by Columbia pictures in mm. like the thirties and forties. Um, but they've, so any like short subjects that they've introduced are, are attached to a theme like that or a collection like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even sure what this one is because they also break them out and they have like, here's things that are fun that are 10 minutes or less. Um, or, uh, Stuff they have a series called um, Adventures in going where they interview like uh, known people and have them talk briefly about a movie that they want so you can like see a collection of a single person's thoughts and the movie that accompanies them um, and then they have all these individual short subjects so I I don't know what this is a part of what collection this is a part of okay but the um, the title was Marvel Monomar. Stanley on Alan René. and it's this: it's Stan Lee being interviewed and talking about how he almost made a movie with Alan Renee, who was this like French New Wave uh, filmmaker. Interesting.
0: And this great, he he talks about how and and the, was the, it a Marvel movie? No, okay, it was something on the it side was that... it
1: was supposed to be kind of like a Roger Corman monster movie, okay. but like a more highbrow version of that uh-huh. is what they pitched it as. But it, it, it starts off with Stan Lee walking out of this door doorway and walking down a hallway that's clearly like a Marvel office or something. Mm-hmm. And it ends with him walking back down that hallway and going back <laughs> into the same room. So it's like they let him out yeah. to give this oh, interview. That's sad. <laughs> it's very goofy. But um, what,
0: what era was this?
1: This was like 60s, late 60s, oh. I think. So like, yeah, Is these it- two are
0: like... Right at the top of their game. That's when they were talking about. That's when they were talking it. about making the movie. And when
1: was this? short the short. Made? Uh, this is probably like early two thousands. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Stan looks still pretty spry mm-hmm. um, in the interview segments, and they're they're illustrated partially with um, comic panels depicting some of the stuff that he's talking
0: about, which is cool. kind of a fun uh, device. But yeah, and it's Did this crazy story. Todd McFarlane <laughs> illustrate any of those? You gotta get your own movie, Bob. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd love to see Todd McFarlane like walk into the Criterion office and be like, I'm not letting you release my new spawn movie. And then, you know, we're, I'm taking it elsewhere. And then he goes across the street yeah. over to like
0: Turner classics. Yeah. <laughs> You're not releasing my movie either. Who is that guy? <laughs> Why was he carrying that baseball with him? <laughs> <sighs> Uh, So that one, that was a really
1: fun one. Um, I also watched, they have this series called uh, Closet Picks. Mm -hmm. So at the Criterion office, they keep a closet stocked with all of their movies. All the ones that are available um, are currently in print. And they will invite uh, people. I don't know how these people get an invite to this closet. It's, It's almost
0: always somebody who's involved in film already like their tiny desk concert kind of yeah (laughs) but they just go into there you you go into their closet and they have a little vcr set up (laughs) or a laser disc player and you just watch a movie. you just watch a movie
1: yeah (laughs) so they go in they get to pick 10 movies out of the closet um and one of them i've seen a couple of these like online but the one that i watched on the, the day the channel launched was mia um who is a musician okay. and, and songwriter. And also she was the subject of a documentary. I've been meaning to watch the documentary because her, her background is really interesting. Um, but she and the producer of that documentary go into the closet and they argue Wait. about,
0: Do, does she have to wear an outfit with Velcro everywhere? and She, <laughs> in, <laughs> she can keep <laughs> as at- many as them to her. Her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like video power. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. It is like video power. <laughs>
1: i'm sorry no no it's uh so they they en- encourage them to talk about the decision making process by right. like why they're picking certain movies so there are they
0: making like a top 10 or what do you mean that's essentially their... what they're doing i yeah. mean they're just going in From, there and raiding the closet yeah. and they get to walk away with free DVDs. they, they do get to keep them they okay. get to keep them yeah that's
1: cool. but it's a fun way of building a top 10 list yeah you know and, the, and they have to explain to the camera like why they're doing it. So it, it, it looks like they must've had some preparation going into this. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in this MIA one, because they like sort of know what the spines look like for certain ones. Mm -hmm. Um, so that they target them, but they get kind of get into an argument over badlands. Um, like who gets to pick badlands. Did they have multiple people going in? In this case, it was just MIA and the producer of the documentary, but usually it's just one person. Yeah. Like, uh, another one that I liked was, um, Michael K. Williams, uh, from the wire, uh, he plays Omar in the water. Oh, yeah. He goes We're rewatching the... that now, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, if you want to see what his criterion picks are, you I can, do. Uh, you can find those on criterion.com yeah. or oh. on the criterion channel. All right, I got to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, I'm back.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> wow, well, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I had no idea that he would have been into uh, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> 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 so.
1: I'm very excited so far. I was a little bit disappointed initially because it was it was unclear before Criterion Channel launched how much of the stuff that they put on DVD was going to be available. And they they made this they issued this statement like a week before the channel launched that it's going to be the entire collection, like the permanent collection, is going to be available at any given moment. It's never going to go away. Awesome. So I thought, okay, wow. I'm like going through the list of DVDs and I'm being like, oh, I can't wait to watch this. I can't wait to watch this. Okay, so that's not their definition of the permanent collection. No, (laughs) (laughs) I think what they probably mean is stuff that they have like the, the universal license. Like, so anything that Janice put out Okay. That is pretty much going to be on Criterion channel at all at any given moment. So and that's a lot of stuff. haven't seen Armageddon yet. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe Armageddon is part of the first package yeah. of, uh, of stuff that's streaming, but it ended up being really exciting. Um, I, i I felt in, initially that's what I was anticipating that all of that stuff would be available. And I was like, embarrassment of riches, this is going to be fantastic. And when it, turned out to be different, I was actually a little bit more excited about it because now I have something to look forward to every month to see what they're going to um, include on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's probably not economically viable to just put everything out there when you're trying to sell a $50 DVD Yeah. Um, to just make it available for streaming. but But yeah, so far it's off to a great start. I've seen a bunch of movies that I had wanted to see, or in some cases I didn't really know that I wanted to see. I'd never seen Mildred Pierce before, but it's a really
0: interesting movie. I don't know what that is.
1: It's based on a novel about a woman who is, um, she she basically frames someone for the murder of her husband, but the wrong person ends up getting blamed. Like okay. So the framing doesn't take, yeah. and the police end up going after a different person from her past, and then she has to exonerate that person mm. while still trying to frame the other person. Well, okay. Yeah. Really interesting. Especially for like a 1942 movie, mm-hmm. 45 movie, I think, directed by Michael Curtiz, who did uh, Casablanca. Mm. So I've heard of pedigree. that. pedigree.
0: <laughs> lots of <laughs> farting in that
1: one. <laughs> uh, so there are... 987 films. I was going to ask that. In the in the current, the modern Criterion Collection. hmm And are those
0: all available for sale now?
1: No. No, okay. No. Um, a lot of them, uh, the license was limited, mm-hmm. and especially in the early days of DVD, like their first few DVDs, some of them are still available, but um, a lot of the big ones that they introduced, like... Um, there were a couple of John Woo movies. They put out The Killer and Hard Boiled. Mm-hmm. Um, And those were, they were expensive at the time. And they were only in print for like six months or something like that. And no longer? No longer. Um mm-hmm. They go for, you know, super high dollar. I actually had The Killer. Um, oh, really? And I sold it for like $150 mm. in 2003 or something. I, I thought you were going to lie to me and tell
0: me that it was in your parents' closet guess. <laughs> <again. laughs> sure, John. Uh-huh, Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, but so a lot of those, um, and some pretty popular movies, um, I guess because the, the owners didn't want to give them a longer license, but I, I think like, I would say 60 to 70% of anything that they've released since they started putting out DVDs and Blu-rays is still Still available. You can get it. Yeah. So, 987 titles.
0: They're Yes! <laughs> I was just thinking that, that Adam would have wanted us to do that, and <laughs> we might have been here for hours or not. I don't know. I might I might have failed re- really quickly, so.
1: There are some surprising uh,
0: things in there. Uh, bad things, you mean?
1: Well, I think or, just stuff that I wouldn't think of, and it's usually, uh, some of it exists in the collection because it... it they have found a way to frame it and make it interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, so, um, not that this is a bad, um, choice, but all three of the Richard Linklater before Mm -hmm. movies are in there. Um, and like before, before midnight or before sunrise, that's the first one. It has been, uh, ever since it was released, I think it's gotten a lot of critical love. So Mm -hmm. sure. That makes sense being in there. You don't think the other two should, I, 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 w- I was surprised that they were. I mean as a set it's unique. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It is and that's that's what I think is interesting yeah. about what they do when they make these choices. Like if you if you picked before midnight, the third one, as your
0: as your yes. inclusion,
1: you know. If yeah. It, if that was the
0: only one, that
1: would be right, really weird. That'd be strange. Yeah. Um but like when they do group these things together, it is purposeful mm-hmm. and it's a really interesting way of reevaluating movies or just like seeing them for the first time, you know, like never having given them a chance on their initial run when they were like a standalone thing, but getting to see them packaged in a certain way with a certain context. Um, another one, my favorite, probably my all time favorite criterion release is this set called um, America lost and found. Uh, and it's about this, the studio that was, Um, Born Out of the Monkees TV show. I am
0: very excited. It's
1: amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. And it's not like it's this underground thing. They made Easy Rider. Uh Uh-huh. You know, um, but but so this like sort of brain trust in Hollywood of these like young guys who were affiliated with the counterculture, um, had connections, but they weren't like, they weren't like really well-known names. Yeah. Um, They just sort of capitalized on the people that they were running with at the time. And made these really um, groundbreaking for the time movies that essentially kind of restarted the great Hollywood you know era. Yeah, like, I think they they are probably more influential on what happened in the seventies, like the, these like big movies like The Godfather and um, mm-hmm. even Jaws, I guess to a certain extent. Um, but so
0: they made Easy Rider. They yeah, made, I, I haven't seen Easy Rider, but I am aware that it um kind of reshaped independent movies and um you know these characters that are very far from Hollywood's ideal kind of thing mm-hmm. and um was in, an important movie for its time yeah yeah uh the next one they did after that was five easy, 5 easy pieces with Jack Nicholson so i i know that Jack Nicholson and the monkeys wrote the movie head yeah in a hotel room high as hell <laughs> and, and he directed that i think i think jack nicholson directed head or maybe maybe it was bob rafelson it was the guy that that was one of the producing guys yeah I, studio. I don't th- i don't think he directed it but um so yeah i, I want to know what that connection was and was he affiliated with the easy writer jack nicholson yeah yeah
1: yeah, he he's an actor in Easy Rider. He has probably okay. like one of my favorite roles in Easy Rider of all time. Like best characters ever. He is like kind of the heart and conscience of Easy Rider. Okay. Um but yeah, so he he was very heavily involved in this and he he appears in at least 5 out of the 6 movies that they made, I hmm. think, or 4 out of the 6 movies. Anyway, so all all of their movies are in there along with a a documentary about the whole this this production house and how it came to be and changed things.
0: Cool. But I will definitely check that out.
1: Yeah. There's some good, good stuff and I can't wait until it's on the channel.
0: Oh, it's not on that yet. I don't think any of them are right now.
1: I will not check that out. <laughs> 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 but I'm sure they will. be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned there are a couple of, uh, podcasts that are mm,
0: of I, note. Yeah, um,
1: was... I'll drop some links to these in the show notes. There was the, the, um, NPR, uh, interview with, uh, Peter Becker. Um, there's a, a, I think it's boing boing, uh, podcast called tell me something. I don't know.
0: And, uh,
1: this one, wait, this...
0: that's a NPR show. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, are you remembering that name correctly? No. What am I thinking of? There's like three NPR shows with similar names. That have similar yeah. names. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty sure it was when I saw the name of yeah. it. It's tell me something. Um, I don't know. Uh, wh-
1: and what is that? It's a I believe it's a Boing Boing uh podcast.
0: We, uh but does that focus on Oh, oh Criterion? yeah. It, it,
1: they just interview uh, people. Every episode is an interview with somebody Okay. Um, and they, they interview us- a guy who's a graphic designer for Criterion, which is interesting in as much as they um they are very um precise in the packaging of their movies mm-hmm. and it's a it's a rare kind of marriage I think where of uh, often the the looks that they use to market the movie can sometimes like end up superseding what you know of the actual from the movie. original cover yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. They're so uh well defined by the the stuff that Criterion introduces. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting uh discussion talking about how he got his start and some of the decisions that go into how they package stuff. So uh, do you know if there are any podcasts that are focused on it? Yes, there are. There are a couple. Um there's one called The Criterion Correction, which um they they sort of go uh, episode by episode taking something from the collection and discussing um why it either deserves to be in the Criterion mm-hmm. Collection or why it doesn't. Yeah. Um there's I think another one called the Criterion Cast, which is just sort of a review of um uh a release. Um And I think that one also has like kind of a newsfeed, uh, show where they, they will talk about announcements of upcoming releases, Mm -hmm. um, or just, uh, related stuff. Um, that's sort of tangential to the, to the Criterion collection.
0: Um, that's their percolator if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to, um, uh, what's the name of it? Unspold. Oh Um, yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Amy Nicholson had the canon before that and uh, Mm -hmm. was kind of similar to the Criterion Correction kind of thing where they would take a movie and judge whether or not it was worthy to be in their canon that they were creating. Yeah. yeah. Um, But Unspold does the AFI Top 100, and um, I listen to almost every episode, even, you know, there's tons of them. I haven't seen the actual movies, but Mm -hmm. I still find it very interesting. Yeah. And it, you know, inspires me to check them out, which I haven't done yet, but, you know, <laughs> put them on a note in my phone. You're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, scroll through that <clears> list <throat> when you're trying <throat> to find something to watch, and yeah. then you just decide
1: you want to watch Elf yeah. instead. Yeah. Elf's good. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure one day the off Christmas special will be in the (laughs) Criterion Collection, (laughs) which uh,
0: was the subject of uh, an Advent Calendar House episode. Uh, Speaking of podcasts. Yeah. If you're not listening to Advent Calendar, don't listen to those stupid podcasts that John just recommended. (laughs) Go check that out. Uh, And while you're
1: checking things out, you can check out us at uh, The Archive on
0: Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And please... Subscribe, review, rate on Apple Podcasts.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me for this discussion. Thank you. And uh, I guess we will put this one in the audio commentary. Or the hour